I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Steve Dumick passed away on Thursday morning after a two-year fight with brain cancer, and he won that fight because he really battled it, and he wouldn't let it stop him from doing what he really loved. And as you know, the big dog is an iconic figure, not just on radio, but in the Tampa Bay market. And he was just so passionate about this area and, and the teams that he talked about and represented. So our thoughts are with him and his family and friends. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the big dog and the legacy uh, that he leaves behind. And the Tampa Bay Rays, they begin a series uh, in New York against the Yankees tonight. We'll get you ready for that. The Rays also have made a trade for a catcher. And we'll tell you who that is. And speaking of New York, the PGA Championship is underway at Beth Plage Black. And Tiger Woods with a roller coaster day. He shoots two over with uh, just, uh, you know, things like eagle and double bogeys and all over the place. Brooks Kepka, the runner up at the Masters, he's now in the lead with a one shot lead at minus seven. So he lit it up in round one. We've got all that and a Gerald McCoy update on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to be a sponsor of this podcast, I want you to know there are now lots of different ways to do that. Our advertisers have had great success, and so will you. For information on how to be a sponsor, here's what you do. Contact us on Twitter, at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll give you all the information you need. Uh, if you would like to uh, be a sponsor to this podcast, we'd love to have you join us if you could right now. All right, Steve, uh, I was playing golf on Thursday, and uh, boy, you know, I had my phone, just happened to look at it, and of course, uh, uh, lots of people commenting on this, and it was really uh, sad news. Maybe not unexpected, um, but something that still hits you really hard, and that is Steve Dumig uh, died early Thursday morning, and we know that he's battled uh, really uh, brain cancer, essentially, for the last uh, two, two-plus years, I believe. And uh, you know, finally succumbed to that. Um, but it's you know, it's 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 sad. It's always uh, horrible, of course, for his family, and you feel for them, uh, his wife and his daughter, uh, and that's that's the first thing you think about. But um, both of us, and, and particularly you, um, know him very very well at, with your work at uh, at, at WDAE. Uh, you were his boss essentially, and 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 mine too. And Steve was instrumental of course, in um, being an advocate for me and helping me uh, get on radio and, and be a host. And, and he was a colleague of mine uh, as we uh, hosted the morning show over there for five years while he had, of course, the afternoons. But even going back before that, um, if, if, you, if you were in Tampa Bay at all the last really 25, 30 years, I mean, you know who Steve Dumig is. He was a, he was a sort of larger-than-life um, figure and persona and voice and uh, what a voice he had uh, in, in terms of not just the, the sound of it, but also, um, you know, what it meant. Uh, he, he had weight behind everything he said and um, was a huge advocate for these Tampa Bay teams, whether it's the Bucks or the Rays or the Lightning and um, USF and all of that. Um, but he also, you know, he was also a guy that uh, – that, that, was passionate about them, but also held them accountable, you know, um, didn't, didn't sugarcoat anything. And, um, at a time when talk radio was sports talk radio was really starting to hit its, its peak, its Zenith. Um, the big dog, there wasn't anything bigger than that, uh, in Tampa Bay. So, um, just a, uh, a sad day, but, but we're going to look back and, uh, and tell some stories and, and and celebrate really what which was an unbelievable career and, and just a tremendous life. Yeah, I don't know if there's particularly DAE. There was no one more passionate about the station than the big dog. That's the word that keeps coming to my mind today was passion. That yeah, whether it was for the Tampa Bay teams, the Tampa Bay market, the radio station, his show, his audience. 
everything he did, he brought back playing golf, betting on the horses, uh, you know, everything he did, he had, he had tremendous passion behind him and just, you know, and energy and, and yeah, when he spoke, people listened and, and he was well-informed, well-sourced, you know, he broke stories in this market many times. Oh, yeah, he did. You know, a lot of those before I got to town, but you know, he, he was, you know, when he spoke, people wanted to know, you know, if something big happened in Tampa Bay sports, you sat there going tomorrow at three, I got to listen. I got to hear what Steve Dumick says. Yeah, no, his, listen, his monologues at three o'clock um, were, were must listen radio and, and it was appointment radio. And, and back in the day, um, they could go 24, 25 minute long. You know, it wasn't like, hey, we're breaking after 11 minutes. I know we've changed the clocks a little bit since then. Um, but he would, it was well thought out. It would usually include a, a couple news items or two or three. But you wanted to know, you had to know what the big dog was going to say. And you look forward to it. And some days he'd surprise you. You didn't know anything was really going on. And then, boom, he'd lay something out. Um, and, and, you know, it, it would just be, uh, like I said, it, the people in this town, um, I remember talking to, uh, to Rich McKay and his wife, Taryn, and she grew up here, of course, and she would never, and of course, Rich was a GM and, and the president of the Bucks, uh, or not, uh, GM and legal counsel, but he then became GM for a long time, as you know, his dad, of course, uh, John McKay, the first coach here. And she said, you, you know, she had to hear what the big dog had to say at three o'clock every day. And I think everybody sort of fell into that mode because it was such compelling radio. And it wasn't, you know, it was, there was bluster, of course, and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but he hit his marks, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was thought provoking and, and he, he, he took a side, whether you agreed with him or not. Um, and we can get into that a little bit, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you had to know, and he was going to shape opinion. You know, that was the thing. His audience was large. They were loud. They were, they were very engaged, um, both with him and, and just, you know, with the teams that he was talking about and, you know, he could shape public opinion. And, and I know the team that I covered, they paid attention to what he said. Oh, all, all the teams did. They I mean, had to, you know, Steve is a, a big part of why the lightning succeeded in this market. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Phil Esposito brought the team to town and, you know, yeah. the, the expansion team, but Dumig was it was the team's biggest advocate in, in educating no this market on hockey along the way too. Can I tell you, I probably learned, and, and this is the honest God's truth. I think I learned more hockey without ever having gone to a game, listening to Steve Dumig tell me how it, how it works and what the rules are. And I mean, you know, I grew up in Florida like everybody else here. What, what, you know, ice goes in a drink. Um, this guy educated everybody about it. And when their ownership was crap, he let us all know, <laughs> you know, and uh, he, he had a great relationship. And you know, this Steve with Phil Esposito, those two were very close. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're extremely close. And yeah, you know, big dog was a big part of why hockey. And I loved it. And during the 2011, Eastern Conference final run that they had that it was kind of unexpected. You know, Eiserman and Vinick had just taken over. Guy Boucher was running the team. They were kind of starting the rebuild, but they kind of caught fire that year and went to the Eastern Conference finals. And every one of those home playoff games, I sat next to Dumick down at the, at Emily arena. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm watching the game and, and I, I, I'm a hockey at that point, a hockey fan. I'm, I was still learning a lot. And, and, you know, the intricacies I didn't know very well yet. And Dumix sitting yeah. there pointing out all kinds of stuff going on on the ice and everything else mm-hmm. and what's going to happen next based on this. And I learned mm-hmm. a lot just from that. I mean, that, that was that was educational for me because, like I said, I wasn't around hockey. Like baseball, football, I've been around my whole life. Hockey is one I've grown into. I mean, look, I there he had a lot of favorite sports. I think hockey was right up there. Some people don't know this. I may have forgotten that the guy – um, made his living as a professional golfer. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a club pro for a long time. I mean, he was somebody that uh, that had a whole other career um, before he got into uh, talk radio. Well, and that's how he got into talk radio. He was doing a golf show. That's right. That's how he started in talk radio, and then it expanded, and, and he became mm-hmm. the big dog. Yeah. At a time, too, when, um, like I said, it was a little different, um, you know, 
when you, when you think about sports talk radio and what it was at that time in the uh, what like late eighty or early nineties, you mm-hmm. know, um, and and on through, and he had lots of partners, and and some of them, some of them got in brawls like like Scott Brantley and him, and and uh, and Steve Steve turned up at different stations and kept coming back, um, sometimes with different partners and sometimes by himself, um, but. You know, he uh, he just he just had a persona um, at a, at an era where sports radio was just new, new in the sense that you know every city seemed to have that guy, right? And and of course, you think of of, of WFAN in New York, you know, and and you know all, all their shows up there, and um, you know, of course, Steve was from Philadelphia, and. and he uh he sort of had that attitude a little bit, you know, that he brought down here. But as as much as he he knew all about the Philadelphia teams and grew up rooting and watching them, he was the guy who was hell bent on telling anybody and everybody mm-hmm. that if you're from another part of the country and you make your home in Tampa Bay, you leave your allegiances right where you right where you left them because you had to root for the Tampa Bay teams and very few you know, well, I wouldn't say very few, but a lot of people really didn't understand or get that or agree with it. And he that's the one thing he was unmoving about is that, you know, damn it, you live here now. And those of you that put on your Yankees pinstripes or your Red Sox or your Phillies or whatever, he just he was adamant about, you know, what are you teaching your kids? Why are you living here? This is these are your this is your team now. He really believed that. There was, there is, and probably never will be, no bigger advocate for the Tampa Bay sports fan than Steve Dooming. No, Mm-mm. I mean it was you will root for these teams. This is who we're talking mm-hmm. about. This is who we cover. This is you know we are Tampa Bay. We're Bucks, Rays, Lightning, Storm, Rowdies. You know, you name it. That's who we are, and and we're going to defend Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay fans among anyone who wants to attack us. Right. There was right. no bigger advocate for the Tampa Bay sports fan than Steve Dooming. No. And and yet he'd have guys that would call in Green Bay Bob and different and and you know they had allegiances towards other teams they still rooted for them but when it but they, if they lived here they had to also then be a huge fan and or advocate mm-hmm. and would have to choose Tampa Bay over their former team if those two teams played each other. Like he had all these rules they were like hard to follow but um the, and, and I didn't agree with all of them because I'm, I'm one somebody that feels like, oh, you know, you spend your money, you can root for whoever you want to. But I, I, but he was such an advocate for this area, and and like I said, to the point where, you know, he wanted the teams to be successful, and when they weren't, he above anybody else had no trouble telling you whose fault it was, mm-hmm. and, and whether he was right or not. By gosh, he was going to lay the wood at somebody's feet. And they were going to pay the price if if they if the team sucked, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of times that was that meant ownership, you know, which which is really something when you take on ownership in this town, mm-hmm. and you're doing. Remember now, in the case of the Buccaneers, he did the player shows. Yep. Or or an awful mm-hmm. lot of them, and at least at least the ones that mattered, right? Mike Allstott, Derek Brooks, you know, um, you know when you when you've got those guys. You've got some juice now, you know? Oh, and believe me, every one of those teams listened to every one of his shows. Sure they did. And I can tell you, as being his program director for a couple of years, if they didn't like something that was said, I heard about it. I bet you did. And that's, you know, look, I did this job, and, and of course, I, I, I tried to, you know, kind of hit it more down the middle of the fairway at times. I mean, Steve, Steve could say and do whatever he wanted to. I had a job as a reporter with the Tampa Bay Times when I did our show, but – it's it is hard to really be overly critical of an organization and then walk back into that building as part of your job and sit there on Sundays, you know, or or go to the games and 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 then confront the owners and you know they know what you've said and and and, and what you've written and so forth. And some people won't do that, you know. Some people are just cheerleaders; they don't care, right? Mm-hmm. Good, bad, or indifferent. Go Bucks. Go Rays. Go Lightning. Right. Well, whatever happens, I'm with our boys, you know. That was not Dumig. Dumig held them to a higher standard. And and he had his he had his his favorites <laughs> and uh and, and he he had his not so favorites. He look I'll tell you what, man. What was that big dog all about? 
he was not a Gruden guy at all. Um, even though I think at one point when they won the Super Bowl, he was cool with it. But uh, primarily, I think it was because that, you know, um, when Gruden came, Mike Allstott's role became reduced and he didn't understand why Mike didn't get the ball more and those kind of sort of things. Felt like he cost him more Pro Bowls. Mike went to six. He could have gone to nine or ten, that sort of stuff. Um, he didn't like Greg Schiano. Of course, a lot of people didn't. No. on the line. Well, he was a huge Whoa, Raheem was, Morris guy. He loved Raheem. Loved Raheem. I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, so back in – this would have been about 2000, I guess. Um, the Bucks make a, uh, a big trade for Keyshawn Johnson. And, I mean, mind you now, this is, you know, throw me the damn ball, number one overall pick wide receiver out of USC – um, brazen comes in New York, you know, tears it up with the Jets, whatever, and controversial from the day he arrived. And the Bucks give up two number ones. I mean, they gave up a ton. Uh, and he's on a cover of Sports Illustrated, wearing an eye patch, carrying a sword, and the whole Buccaneer, you know, bandana and the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, and the big dog was not amused. <laughs> he he was he was sort of like. Look at this freaking guy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, really throw me the damn ball. You got to be kidding me. Keyshawn Johnson, you know, the big mouth and all this stuff. And you just kind of knew that this was not going to go well from the start. <laughs> and um, and it didn't. And, uh, you know, of course, they eventually won a Super Bowl, uh, the Bucks and Keyshawn. But um, when Dungy was here, Dungy was the one that brought him in. And Sean King, I think, was the quarterback. And he caught like 105 passes and one touchdown one year. And Keyshawn, uh, at one time, had had one of his own radio show that he did from a mall or something like that. And But I remember Keyshawn, because I, I met him before he, after he had signed. I went out to California and spent some time with him. And this is how smart Keyshawn was and, and how how <laughs> it tells you how much respect he had. So, so Keyshawn said, and remember now, he's – He's played in New York, so he knows what the media and, and sports talk radio is, right, with Mike Francesa and all that stuff. So he, he asked me, he goes, hey, man, who's the guy in Tampa that has the biggest, you know, voice, the biggest audience, you know, who is, who's the talk radio guy? Like, who is that guy, right? And at this point, Dumick had bit into him pretty good. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, he wanted to know, he goes, I, I got to know who's that guy. And, and I'm all too wise. I said, look, there's only there's one. It's not even a dispute. It's, it's Steve Dumick. They call him the big dog. He's on, you know, he's on DAE. I said he's already said some things like he, you know, he's that guy. And if if he if he's if if you're on his list and he doesn't like you, he's going to ride you every single day. And uh, Keyshawn did the smartest thing I've ever seen. He called the guy, and he said, I want to come in and meet you. You know. I hear you're the guy, blah, blah, blah. And that's sort of like who Steve was. Like, it, he was a teddy bear once you really got to know him. You know what I mean? Um, and, and Keyshawn went in there, and they, they struck up a relationship. And I'm telling you, at the end when Keyshawn was going through the whole, you know, made inactive and the whole battle with Gruden and stuff, he was one of Keyshawn's biggest defenders. And it was just funny to see that dynamic, but – Keyshawn figured it out and, and, you know, wanted to, wanted to know who the, who the guy was and he spent time and they, they, you know, talked a lot and, um, and Keyshawn came to appreciate him and vice versa. And it was really interesting to see sort of that dynamic, but it was because the Dumig had such a, a big platform, you know, in this city that, uh, that, that he had to make peace with him. That's just the way it was. Yeah. There are a lot of those stories with Steve where, and that's what made him so good is he had so many relationships with so many people. I mean, I, you know, I yeah. can remember many times him coming in my office going, Hey, I want to talk about this story today. I, you know, I've talked to this person, I've talked to this person, I've got this, you know, and, and, and it was just one of those cases. I mean, Steve was allowed to have his opinions, you know, anything he wanted, but if it, when it came to breaking news type stuff, we wanted to make sure we had the story, right. We'd rather be right than, then first him going off on something or you know and that was with all of our talent was the same thing it was you know you know your opinions on what happened at the game last night what that you know i don't tell you what to say i'll uh you know a lot of times steve and i would get in spirited debates before the show because i like to take 
play devil's advocate with those guys so that before you, they go you prime oh tell the truth you primed the pump with him a few times right? sure of course wasn't I that the secret yeah. yeah i mean that was the whole thing with him yeah well and the other night I, I mentioned a host that did a show better when he was ticked off than than happy <laughs> and that was steve dumick <laughs> with steve yeah you know he was yeah, one that knew, you know yeah. he, he you know he shot well on the golf course that day oh i gotta come up with something <laughs> but you know, and, and and sometimes it was just a spirited debate on the Rays game the night before, or whatever the Bucks did, or you know. And I would yeah. just take the opposite side just to take it for one to make sure he's, you know, you do that to make sure they're ready to go on the air and that you know they've thought this through that they're you know they've got their opinion and they you know so if a caller calls up and says this they're ready to say here's why I disagree et cetera et cetera. Although yeah. Steve does it more eloquently than that, of course. But yeah, I mean he's. You know, but his relationships and his, you know, the information he had, I, you know, if you think back to the biggest story he broke while I was at DAE, it was about quarter till three or 10 till three one day, right before he goes on the air and he comes in my office, he goes, I got Tim Markham on the phone. He's walking out of Emily Arena now. He's just been fired. Can I go with it? I'm like, <laughs> what? wait, he's on the phone with you right now? He's holding his cell phone. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, he's walking out of the arena and he's been fired. Yeah, go with it, of course. So he opens the show up and and we broke news. No one knew. I mean, there was a whole thing going on with him at the time, if you remember back, and controversy yep. and whether they keep him or not. But you know, he he's on the phone with Dumig before he's even left the building. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's how powerful Dumig was, and that's the relationships he had with people. Is that if something would happen, he was their first call. Oh, he was dialed in, and um, like I said, his relationship uh, with the Bucks—he he had, you know, he had the the biggest stars that he did their player shows. And I was, as a reporter, um, I was fearful because I, I was like, you know what, this guy is inside their locker room, and he knows a hell of a lot of stuff. And um, like I said, there were times when you know it was appointment listening because he very likely could tell you something about an injury about. Um, a player who was getting cut about something that happened in a game, and you had to, and, and you knew his sources were good uh, because many of them sat right next to him. Um, so you know you had to make sure that uh, that you were on top of things because he was going to be, and uh, maybe less so later. You know, as as, as some of the players, you know, retired, um, but he was uh, he was that guy as a reporter. That boy, uh, you better not let your guard down, and, and we could. Look, we got into arguments all the time. He would take other positions that I didn't like, and we'd go back and forth. And um, but, like I said, it it, it was always uh, a spirited debate. And Steve understood probably more than anybody because you know for a long time, especially towards the end, he was a solo host. He didn't have a partner. You know, at times mm-hmm. he had a partner, but he 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 did the show himself. And so his partners were the callers. That was his partner, and he understood talk radio in that he could uh, measure sort of which way the wind was blowing. And I'm not staying, saying it was pure stick, but it was brilliant um, that he would very often, more often than not, be the sort of the provocateur and take the other opinion, you know, because you want, you know, to have a debate, you can't always agree with everybody, right? I mean, if, if everybody says, you know, I'm going to zig, th- occasionally you got to zag. And, a lot of times he would he would be on the you know the the other side of of, of the argument um, and could argue it to death and it would infuriate people, but it made for compelling talk radio, you know, and and not all callers are great, but when he got people fired up now, and he got fired up on top of that, it was really you know it was like mom and dad are fighting and I'm going to sit here and listen and <laughs> shut up, you know. And uh, hope, hopefully the kids have a place to sleep tonight. Um, that's sort of how you felt. You felt like a voyeur almost. You know, you're just kind of like, oh, my goodness, who, how's this going to end? You know, I can't believe that, that they're going back and forth at each other like this. But it was uh, – I learned a lot from them. And, uh, well, like not I only said, that, but he, how, many, how many former athletes and, and even a lot of the sports talk hosts in this market were inspired by him, but – how many former athletes did he help become media stars? Oh, a ton of them. He helped a ton of them, and they a lot of them went on to ESPN, mm-hmm. and and they got their start because he hosted a show with them. Mm-hmm. You know, but he he didn't just host shows with them. He would teach them 
oh, how yeah. to be good radio host too, and and, and media oh, people. Sure I would. mean, you know, particularly during breaks and before and after shows and stuff, and you know, whether it's Derek mm-hmm. Brooks or Keyshawn mm-hmm. Johnson, or I mean, you go through the list of former Bucks players that are doing big stuff in media. Uh, Booger sure. McFarlane, yeah, uh, you know, he would teach a lot of those guys how to be good personalities. Listen, when Booger and Brooks would go back and forth and he'd be in the middle of those two, it was some of the funniest radio I ever saw. And, you know, for a while, Derek Brooks was doing ESPN and different things. And, and, and of course, we know where Booger McFarlane is now. And I don't I don't know that Booger gets to develop that radio persona. I mean, he's a personality uh, and he's always who he is. And that's the way Steve was. I mean, it didn't matter when you saw Steve. Steve was Steve. You know what I mean? He was He was authentic. And that's what Booger was. But you're right. He got a lot of people started in talk radio and in broadcasting in general and they and a, and a ton of them went on to be successful and some of them might even owe their careers to him and i know i probably you know who knows if i get to do talk radio if he doesn't uh, go to bat for us and, and and all that sort of thing so yeah um, i mean i you know i opened this podcast saying you know he was so passionate about the radio station that yeah know, when when we had a morning opening and and i was deciding what we wanted to do with it and figure out the direction we wanted to go you know, you were a name I always had on a list. Mm-hmm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, just from hearing you on radio shows and, you know, seeing you in, in the media and that. But I didn't know you at all. And, right. You know, so I went to Steve pretty quickly and said, okay, I have a list of some guys. And some I knew, yeah. some I didn't. And I was, okay, what do you think of this person? What do you think? You know, and you were on that list. And he was like, oh, he'd be a home run. He'd be great. Yeah, you no, know, I, I and Valtteri was a person too. Yeah, and we weren't, you know, look, we, you know, Steve had a ton of friends and did a lot of things. Mm-hmm. He played a lot of golf. I didn't golf, so I didn't get to spend, you know, a lot of social time with him. Ironically, and somewhat, somewhat sadly, um, the one time I did spend some time with him socially was at the Super Bowl. I forget which one. Twenty seventeen um, in Houston. Yeah, it was twenty. Yeah, it was twenty seventeen in Houston. That's correct. And myself, and it was uh, the Saturday before the Sunday game. And, of course, he would do a week of shows. Uh, it might have even been Friday night. It was Friday because really sure. he came home Saturday. He always came home That's Saturday right. He came morning. home on Saturday. So it was Friday night, and John was helped producing the shows, Mamola. And, um, and I was out there and through the game, of course. And I hooked up, uh, I hooked up with John, and Steve was in the hotel. And he came down, uh, came down to the lobby. And, I, I, like I said, I'd known him, I'd known him for years. Um, and, uh, and at that time, I believe I'm hosting a radio show too, but he comes down and, um, we sat at, we sat at a bar and we sat there and, uh, it's probably the most time I've spent with just him and, 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 and John, of course, and probably had more than a few frescas. Uh, and, uh, he picked up the damn tab and I said, you know, I'm on expense. I, you don't, you know, whatever. No, no, I'm going to get this. So, um, you know, the, the, the really shocking thing, and this is the, you know, sort of the soberness of life, is that um, he got on a plane the next morning. Uh, we did the Super Bowl. And then uh, come to find out, uh, I believe on that Saturday or Sunday, like the next yeah, it was day. Yeah, after about the was. second period of the Lightning game. Or, yeah, or second period of the Lightning game. the third period of the Lightning game, game that Saturday night that he collapsed. He collapsed. And that's when he first, you know, the, the trouble uh, first really was – uh, the first symptoms or the first big symptoms anyway were detected uh, the next day and uh, went, of course, you know, after many um, examinations and, and all of that found out that he had uh, had a brain tumor and it was de- it was so it just like it takes the wind out of you. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, so, you know, two years later, um, of course, he, he battled that thing. And, and look, even to the point where nothing doing that he wasn't going back on radio. You know what I'm saying? And I I know people, you know, probably felt like it wasn't great radio or it wasn't, he, you know, he he struggled at times um, because he was going through chemo and he didn't feel well and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But I'm here to tell you, you know, for a guy 
to care that much about what he does and and battle uh, the sort of illness that he had and, and the treatment he was going through to 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 will himself, you know, out you know on radio at three o'clock every day, is remarkable to me. I mean, you talk about you mentioned caring about the station and caring about Tampa and all that. Nothing doing that that guy was not going to stay and, and, and keep talking for as long as as, as he could, and he did. Mm-hmm. He he fought it and he and he worked, uh, and 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 battled it. Really battled it. I mean, it wasn't easy. It was really hard. And um, but by God, well, he correct did me if I'm wrong. He saw his mentor and friend do the same thing, Chris Thomas. He did. He you absolutely know. did. I think that's been yes. 15 years ago. Now it was either 03 or 04 he passed away, I believe. I wasn't here, but I. Yeah. Steve has told me many a story of Chris Thomas, oh, and yeah, you know, and and that was that was his best friend and mentor. Yeah, who also died of cancer, and 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 Steve worked out of the studio, the Chris Thomas Studios, and talked about him often. Held a show every year and played all of Chris Thomas's, uh, uh, you know, some of his morning shows and the characters he came up with and all those things and. You know, right now you can only hope that uh, you know if there's a heaven that uh, Chris was Chris was the guy that was greeting them, and they were going to go play some golf and throw back a bunch of pints when they were done. I guarantee. And they're it. at the track too. <laughs> they're betting. <laughs> That's right. He had his guys call in and uh, and uh, give them the odds on some horses. Probably. Uh, he had a lot. Of, look, he was knowledgeable about a lot of things, man. He really was. Owned a restaurant for a time. Remember mm-hmm. that? Owned nightclubs. Um, Nightclubs, yeah. A lot of the players would go in there. I'm telling you, this guy was a man about town. He really was. Um, and we're we're gonna uh, Tampa Bay is gonna miss him. They're they're less we're less without him because uh, because of what he meant and what his voice meant and uh, and all the impact that he had. And you can tell if you go on any social media uh, and read the tributes, it's uh, it's overwhelming. It really is. Like you you find out, you know, sort of. Uh, what the value of someone's life is when um, you hear all the stories and, and, and the things that people say about them when they're gone. And um, it was, it's really been, really been overwhelming. That's the thing that, that impressed me today was uh, as we sit here and do this uh, on, on Thursday, but um, it, uh, it really impressed me just the, the heartfelt feelings and the, and the stories, you know, everybody has their Dumick stories and um, all of those were uh, were fun wa- watching and, and reading. There is a big series going on. Of course, it starts tonight. The Rays visiting the Yankees in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, the catching situation on this team has gone from bad to really bad to worse, as it turns out. I felt so bad for Anthony uh, Benboom, a 28-year-old catcher who had spent uh, just a lot of time in the minors Came very close to quitting baseball, but but stuck to his dream. Finally, because of the injuries, gets a chance to make his major league debut against the Miami Marlins. He uh, ends up with a, a huge hit that drives in the only run in a one to nothing game. And unfortunately for him, talk about bittersweet! What a debut, a big hit. Uh, you know, your major league debut as a catcher, and then he went to block a ball and wound up uh, hurting himself with a knee injury and stayed in another inning, but then it was um, too painful to continue, and he has to go on the IL. I mean, talk about heart strings being pulled there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. And the Rays, meanwhile, then make a trade. Mm-hmm. They get Eric Kratz from the Giants. They had DFA'd him earlier this week. So he will be their sixth catcher they use, if he, assuming he gets in a game. Which That's incredible. It's the most catchers, I believe, ever that the Rays have used. That's according to a tweet from Neil Solons. Uh, and you can take it to the bank if Neil said it. That's incredible, man, that you would have that many uh, injuries to one position, and not just any position, by the way, maybe the most important position or definitely the most important position outside of the pitcher himself. And when you talk about these guys coming in here cold, never handling the staff, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's really, you know, a difficult position to be put in. Well, not only that, but it's um, three of them in a week. I know, right? I mean, you don't see that many guys get hurt in two years sometimes. I mean, catchers are, you know, they take a lot of pounding back there, but they're usually pretty durable for the most part. And, and you know, the good ones manage to play game after game. But Ben Boom, I, I feel really sorry. I mean, hopefully he's not going to become Moonlight Grant, right? Where, you know, he's like, he got his, his one at bat in the middle. He got more than one at bat. Well, yeah, he, he, he played a couple. He played a game in the Yankees series. 
So he, yeah, yeah. He, his debut was actually against the Yankees. So I think he made two games. Oh, was maybe it three. okay? Uh, but that this was his, his first, first hit, start, first maybe? RBI, first game-winning okay. RBI. Well, did you see they did uh, a, I guess on um, Twitter or social media was posted. His parents um, had the the themselves watching the game, and it was photographed. Um, they taped themselves and saw and taped their reaction to him getting his first major league hit. It was really cool, um, and that was posted everywhere. So, look, hopefully he gets back and then maybe he gets a chance to come back and, and catch for the Rays. But uh, tough way to start a series in New York against the Yankees where they need to, you know, get some back here. Of course, they lost the series two games to one when they played uh, really just a few few days ago, it seems. And, um, you know, it, it's such a tight race right now. Of course, uh, first place is on the line in the American League East. Mm-hmm. I think psychologically it would be a big thing uh, for the Yankees to, uh, to to catch the Rays and pass them. I think it would be a letdown of some sort um, for the Rays, even though, like I said, you, you really have a tough time thinking they were going to have a better start than the one they have right now. Uh, and yet here they are in, you know, in almost a virtual tie for the American League East um, with, with a team that you know is not going anywhere. They're, they've got a ton of guys on the IL. When those guys start getting back, they're just going to keep getting better and better and better. And the Red Sox uh, are playing good baseball as well. So this thing's going to go down to the wire. But it's an important early season series uh, in New York because I really think that, you know, if, if you can manage to break even against against these contending clubs like the mm-hmm. Yankees and the Red Sox, they will definitely beat each other. And and then it becomes just a question of how well you can play the rest of the schedule. You know, can you beat up on all the other teams? Can you win series? Um, and, and everything else in the AL East will be a wash. But you can't – you don't want to get into a situation where, you know, uh, you've got 19 games and you lose 13 of them. You know, you can't you can't do that mm-hmm. because that's that's going to cost you dearly at some point in the standing. So a big series for them. Um, but the other and, part is, uh, and I think I think the Rays got a little guilty of this last weekend against the Yankees, and I'll use a Dave Wills term. They were jumpy. I, I they think were they jumpy, were they yeah. were they were going. This is an important series. We have to do well, and I think they put a lot of pressure on themselves and made some mistakes that were uncharacteristic for them, and, and got yeah. in some holes. And, and so you hope that okay, you already played the Yankees last weekend. You know you've gotten three of the way up. You've, you you made some mistakes, but let's let's go to New York and just relax and play baseball too. It's a big series, but at the end of the day, it's not must win. The playoffs aren't on the line yet. No, they're not. So, and you know the one the one thing that might help them is that they had they got swept by the Red Sox too. Although mm-hmm. the Red Sox at that yep. time weren't playing that well, and they weren't going to overtake them in first place. But they got swept, yep. and then went up and won an abbreviated two game series up there against Boston. So yep. that that should help them in this situation. Absolutely, and and you're going to have look. You get an opener going tonight, and then you're going to mm-hmm. have Char- uh, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton for the final two games of the series. I feel pretty good about that. They've set up their pitching nicely for that. Mm-hmm. They really have. So you like that going in. So, you know, mm-hmm. it should be a fun series, should be entertaining. Um, you know, you hope the Rays can find some offense. They've been struggling the last two weeks, really, with that. Striking out a lot, yeah. which is what you really like to see them cut down on. But mm-hmm. it should be a good series, and, and first place is on the line. So this is what you this is what you want on your baseball team. You're 11 games above 500. You're going into one of your biggest competitors' place for a weekend series where the winner of this series is going to come out you know, leading the division at the end of it. This is what you yeah. look for. This is what you play for. It is, and yet having, you know, having said that, they, they have a young team in, in the sense that they don't have many guys who have been there, done that before. You know what I mean? Like They don't have World Series champions on their team. Um, Charlie Morton, they, but, but beyond well, that, Morton, yeah. I, other, yeah, but I, okay, you're, you're absolutely right. Morton is is probably the exception, um, and he plays every five days. Now, Morton's a, an yeah. unbelievable resource, of course, for those guys because of what he's accomplished, and he's seen it all, and he's won a world. He is a world champion, but um, position wise, you yes. know, you don't you don't have a number of guys. They're all trying to fi- figure this out. Some of them figuring out how to play consistently in the major leagues, let alone. Um, you know, be in a pennant race um, this early or not and, and, and sort of understand what you're saying, which is you're not going to lose the pennant on this series. You know, mm-hmm. even if you get swept, there's so much baseball to play that you can't put too much importance on a single game. Um, you just got to chop wood and, you know, it's a big forest and just, you know, knock down the tree in front of you. But, um, you know, that's that. some of that comes with experience. And if you're not, 
if you're comfortable in your own career and your own self in terms of you know where you sit as a major leaguer, a lot of these guys are trying to stay in the big leagues. You know that they have to go out there and produce, and 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 then there's a certain amount of individual pressure. So, yeah, you can't let it get to you. That's for sure. And uh, but their pitching is set up nicely for this series. And you know if they can if they can win the series against the Yankees, they'll leave New York with the lead like um, like they need to, and um, everything will be fine. But um, it is pretty early as far as as far as the whole the big picture goes. I promised uh, sort of an update on Gerald McCoy, uh, and really there is no update as far as you know has this thing reached a resolution or not. Uh, but I did want to say this that um, you know we all know that Gerald was on the books for thirteen million this year, and if it were very simple, if the Bucks really wanted Gerald McCoy at thirteen million, then we would not be going through this. He would have been at OTAs. Um, there wouldn't have been the rhetoric that we've seen from Bruce Arians. So regardless of what they think of McCoy, the $13 million is at least an issue right now, and we'll see if it gets resolved. But I just want to tell you that when I was out there, and I don't know if I've emphasized this enough, but I was out there last Tuesday uh, for the first OTAs, and I'm looking out there at the defensive line, and I'm seeing you know Vita Vea, who could be a tremendous talent. I mean, they drafted him in the first round. You know, when he finally got to play, he played okay down the stretch a little bit and uh, three and a half sacks. And you saw sort of the power and, and, and some of the things that the, that the Bucks had seen to make him a first-round pick. But then next to him is Bo Allen, who, you know, didn't really have much of an impact at all as part of that free agent class that they had that were defensive linemen. In fact, they've taken away a million dollars this season from Bo Allen um, because of his lack of production. We know JPP's situation. I mean, he is out for the foreseeable future. Um, he's opting not to have surgery at this time, but it could be an option later. We just don't know. But at minimum, he's, you're talking about late September, early October, um, based on what the timetable that they, that the Bucks have given. Um, and so, you know, that that leaves guys like Carl Nassib in a three-four that's learning how to be a stand-up outside linebacker, which for a guy his size, not you know, not a lot of uh, looseness in the hips there. We can turn and um, and you know, and cover guys in the flat and that sort of thing. And then the rest of them are just dudes, you know. It's like Shaq Barrett and Noah Spence and, you know, you talk about William Golson or whoever. Um, it's not a very, on paper or otherwise, uh, a very formidable defensive line. And, you know, if for some reason, and I don't know how this is eventually going to go, and I don't know that they know how it's going to go, but if for some reason, especially with JPP's injury, that Gerald McCoy's not on this football team, even at $13 million, that's a bad look for the Bucks because I'm telling you right now that injuries happen in this game, and even with everybody healthy, this defensive line's in trouble. Um, I know Todd Bowles is a great defensive coordinator. He's going to bring pressure from other places. They're going to try to cover up and mix and match and do some things, and it'll all look good for a while. But if you can't stop people with your front four, you're you know you're you're vulnerable and. You can't get off the field on third down, and then now you're using your sub packages and things like that, and it just compounds itself. Um, there's other positions like the offensive line. If you're not good there, you can hide it. You can't hide the defensive line, and I would include you know the outside linebackers in that. So to me, if Gerald McCoy doesn't come back, boy, that says a lot because you can do some things with the salary cap and, and make sure you can get him and the, and the rookie signed as well. But uh, I, I just – I, I look at that bunch, Steve, and I'm I'm trying to think like, how are they going to win? How and in, and then you made the point when we were talking. Look how young they are behind them. Yeah, you look at that secondary. What, how, they drafted what three guys in the secondary last three, season? Three, yeah, three more mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, you know, I mean, Vernon Hargraves is the what the oldest guy in the in the defensive backfield essentially. Yeah, he is entering his fourth season. Fourth yeah. season, he, he hasn't played doghouse the first day. Yeah. yeah, he hasn't played in almost two seasons. I mean, two years, a few yeah. games here or there, but you mm-hmm. know, so that worries me. That defensive line worries me without JPP. I mean, it worried me with JPP to be honest. Sure, sure. And you know, we've talked about how they haven't in the draft for years now addressed the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's been an afterthought for the most part. As far as draft, now they did some free agents. You know what they signed four or five of them. What was it, a year or two yeah. ago, um, right. and including the trade for JPP. But that defensive line worries me. And then if you have to bring everybody else up to create pressure, it's a lot of young guys, including <laughs> Devin is. White's a young guy at linebacker. And that's yeah, you know, and, and, absolutely. You know, and while I think he's, I think look, I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a, a solid, 
linebacker for this team for many years to come, he's going to make mistakes as a rookie. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to be perfect back there. Nope. So, you know, if you have to create, if you have to bring five and six to create pressure and, and that, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard yeah. for them to, to improve the defense last year. That was, you know, that was the problem on the team last year. Yeah, it, it is. And, and you can make an argument. They're not as good on offense as they were a year ago without Humphreys, even Deshaun stretching the field. We don't know what Brashad Perriman is going to ultimately be, or, um, you know, if Justin Watson can, can step up. I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. a ton of guys that, that you still have question marks about. And of course, you know, you got Brayton and OJ and, you know, those guys have struggled with injuries in the past. The running game, I don't think, is very good on paper or otherwise. No matter what Bruce Arian says about Peyton Barber, he's a really, really good player. I don't know that on many teams he would be the, the featured running back, I can tell you that. And uh, and you just don't know what you have in Rojo. I mean, the guy's confidence was you know, totally eroded, and, and so they, they're starting from ground zero. He's not a pass catcher. He's not a blocker. And you're still you not certain on the right side back. of the offensive line either. Yeah, you didn't do anything to address it, really. I mean, I guess you could say right now the way they lined up in the OTAs was Alex Kappa is playing right guard, and then it's either going to be Dotson or Beninock to right tackle. But that's not a significant change from what you had last year, if any. And so, you know, this is a team that couldn't run, uh, didn't protect the quarterback all that well, and, um, you know, it, it was another position that wasn't addressed. But neither was the defensive line other than Anthony Nelson from um, Iowa uh, and, uh, you know, so now without McCoy, I'm telling you, money aside, it, it, to me, $13 million sounds pretty close to market value for Gerald, even at 31 years old. Um, but, you know, everybody places their own value on guys. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be a long season um, to me if, if they don't have more defensive linemen. And, you know, Arians has said, well, you know, everywhere I've been, you know, the last week we brought in somebody, yeah, like Dwight Freeney and – you know, guys that were presumed to be over the hill and done, uh, and they managed to get stuff out of them. I, don't, I can't list you a name of guys that are like that this year, but I'd hate to count on it, I can tell you that. I'd hate to think that I'm a week from the regular season and I'm banking on finding somebody to shake out of the trees that's going to go in there and get me 10 sacks a year. So we'll, we'll have to see how that works out. But uh, with respect to McCoy and the Bucks, I, I, if I were a fan, I mean, I think I would be like, really? Um, you know, how much do you, you know, how much do you care about winning that after you knew you were going to lose JPP for a significant amount of time, you didn't pay to get Gerald McCoy back, even at the 13 million. So we'll probably, that'll probably come to a head sooner than later. But I just wanted to mention that, you know, watching those guys, uh, and seeing, you know, the names and, and seeing how they lined up, it just doesn't look very impressive to me. I don't know who you would trade them for in the NFC. Like, are, are there, you know, are there four other guys that they're better than? Uh, I'd have to think about that for a while, but I'm not sure that's the case in the FC South anyway, and, and that might be who they have to play with. And finally, I watched a little golf, and I'm going to take the field, not Tiger Woods. i got to be honest with you. In fact, I'll take Brooks Kepka, and you can have the field. Brooks Kepka, by the way, what kind of role is this guy on right now? He's won two of the last four majors. He finished second at Augusta, if not for his meltdown at number 12 uh, there in uh, Augusta with the uh, hitting the ball in the water and such and that three-shot three swing with the double bogey and then, and then Tiger birdieing, um, he'd be winning damn near every major championship. And he jumped out again at Beth Page Black, this time fired a uh, seven under par uh, to have a one-shot lead over Danny Lee. But uh, man, you talk about a guy that right now, pound for pound, I think uh, I don't know where the rankings are exactly. Or you know, I know Dustin Johnson was ranked number one for a long time. Right now, I think it's I think Kepka is the man. And before we let go, man, oh man, is this is this true? A another possible world championship for the city of Boston? It's been I don't know 15 minutes since they last won a world championship in sports in Boston. Yeah, Boston. Are you kidding me? Boston wins four nothing over the Carolina. Hurricanes, or as they're known as the bunch of jerks, and uh, sweep <laughs> them in four games. Yeah. By the way, I love the yeah. way they've embraced that that mantra that Down Cherry gave them. A bunch of jerks. Yeah, he called them a bunch of jerks for their post game the, the storm warning celebrations that they did right, afterwards. Right. So they've embraced right. it and, and taken that image on. I love that. Yeah, no, it's been cool, but uh, man, I mean, you've got 
era Brady and era Edelman and all these guys, you know, winning Super Bowls, six of them, Belichick. And then you've got the Red Sox, hit a wicked foul with Fenway Park in the yard. They're the world champions. And now you got the Boston Bruins really going to hold three of the major sports titles. Yeah. What the hell's wrong with the Celtics, by the way? Yeah, well, they only went to the second round of the playoffs this year. <laughs> right. And they got more world championships than any team in Boston, by the way. Um, you know, would they win back in the day? But, uh, yeah, it's just really, really, Boston, you're annoying enough. And uh, for all my friends that are listening to podcasts, I love you, babe. But come on. It's unfair that you have that many riches, don't you think? Can you save some for somebody else? I mean, were the Bruins supposed to go to the Stanley Cup this year? Did anybody talk a lot about that? Well, no, because the Lightning were. I mean, the Bruins were the second-best team in the East. Good point. I mean, and, and you and I talked about a lot that the, the Bruins and the Capitals, we felt, were the two toughest teams in the East for the Lightning to get past. Right. I mean, it turns out the Blue Jackets are really good, too. But Yeah. Well, yeah, they, it was supposed to be the Lightning. This was supposed to be the Lightning going to the finals at this point. Man, they'd still be playing. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's such a long, it's such a long, and this is a four-zero sweep for them. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're, they're going to get, get a lot rusty. of rest. As uh, yeah. St. Louis, and uh, did you see the end of that game the other day? Oh, they got a hand missed hand pass. pass. Hello, I mean that's not reviewable, really. Nope. Because they want see, to get it right. The... See, they want to get it right, so they have review. Well, and that's the problem. You, you've hit. I mean, you've said this before. It's like, look, you're either going to get it right or you're not going to get it right. And you're going to review certain things, or you're not. Or, in, or in the case of the NFL, when they didn't had a non call, now there are non calls that can be reviewed. I mean, so you, but only uh, you some, know, only games, some. I mean, you know, defensive pass ones, interference right. can be, but you know, holding can't. Exactly, and but but again, these games would take five and a half hours long. But something that egregiously um, obvious. To miss a call and then go back and say, "Yeah, yeah, it was a hand pass, but we have no mechanism for us to change that." That's that's sad, <laughs> you know. Why why look at the replay at all then, you know? But yeah, that was a, that was a tough pill to swallow, I'm sure for them. All right, so the PGA continues. We'll have a champion by Sunday Rays Yankees series. We'll have all of that as well when we talk to you on Monday. And remember, if uh, you guys would like to advertise or sponsor this podcast, lots of new ways you can do that. Hit us up on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. Hit me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, or email address, rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.